Hello, welcome to Talk Julia. My name is David Amos, and today I am joined by Bogomil Kaminsky. Welcome, Bogomil, to the show. Thank you, David, for inviting me, and uh, hello to everyone listening to our talk. Yeah, this is great. We're very excited to have you on and, and talk about everything you've done for the Julia community and doing with Julia. I think most people that know who you are are aware of you because of the dataframes.jl package, but you've also got a book that you've been writing as well, so we're going to talk about that a little bit later in the show. And this week, my co-host Randy is not going to be with us this morning, so it'll just be Bogomil and, and myself. Well, to start off, Bogomil, why don't you tell us a little bit about how you got into programming in general, and then maybe a little bit after that, how you got into Julia. Okay, thank you. Uh, for asking this question, actually, some time ago, I have written it down in Julia Discourse, uh, which is kind of interesting because uh, Julia Discourse is a, an excellent uh, place to learn Julia, but it's, I think, also a very nice uh, community, which is one of the things that is really great about Julia. But let me start with sharing you the screen where I live and where I am now. So I, I am in Olet, so okay. it's, <laughs> it's uh, north, uh, north uh, eastern part, part of Poland, and I grew up there. Oletsko is uh, under 20,000 people, and maybe you don't see this, but okay. it's like pretty remote from any, any other uh, Big city in uh, in in even in 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 Poland and in particular or in the world in general. So, what is interesting? How I started programming? So it was like probably 30 years ago or maybe more. So, because I live in such a city, actually I started programming before I had a computer. So I found. Uh, <laughs> I found a book in a library, and again, let me just screen share because this is a pretty well-known book, but I think it's, it deserves being shared. So I found the C programming language book in, in the library, oh, and, my goodness. I just, <laughs> and I read it, and I learned programming, you know, uh, without even having a computer. So I just learned programming by reading the C programming language uh, book. And probably many, yeah, many people at that time also studied this book. Uh, but it also gave me some structure of thinking about uh, about coding. So uh, this was uh, this was starting a uh, starting point. I started with this book because I was quite into. Uh, quite into mathematics in general, and uh, and uh, later, many many years later, actually, uh, I decided to <laughs> write a book about uh, solving mathematical problems, uh, and it was uh, it was released two years ago uh, by CRC CRC Press. So let me also just screen okay. share it. So that uh, sure, yeah. you can see, and uh, and I will tell you why I'm sharing this because uh, so this train your brain book is purely about uh, doing uh, solving mathematical problems, but as you can see here, it has a Julia language companion. So I have now oh, switched excellent. from C to <laughs> from C to Julia. It's it's a <laughs> it's an open uh, open uh, access uh, just book like 50 pages of simple introduction to Julia, uh, but uh, why I uh, why I think it's uh, relevant because I started with mathematics, you know, I <laughs> learned programming mm -hmm. without having a computer, but. Uh, what I find when doing mathematics is that really using a computer helps you a lot, either to build an intuition or yeah. to solve problems that are harder than can be solved uh, using just pen and paper. And essentially, this is what I do in my life. So currently, I am employed at Warsaw School of Economics as a professor, and I'm doing uh, research uh, in quantitative methods, mostly, mostly applied to economics and managerial problems. And this, uh, this gets us to your second question. So how uh, I got into Julia, because as you saw already, I started with C. 
Uh, then you know uh, I I have uh, different I have used different languages, and uh, probably uh, some of you already have seen what I have. <laughs> What I have uh, posted on Twitter when I uh, when this talk was advertised uh, by uh, by Julia Talk, uh, I did uh, a simple chart uh, of uh, what languages I have used in my papers year by year. So as you so Julia is blue here <laughs> uh, and. Uh, as you can see, so I I am doing uh, mathematical modeling, uh, either uh, machine learning or uh, or, simu or simulation or optimization. Actually, those are the three major things I do. And in the past, uh, so before I started with Julia, it was like I was mostly using R uh, for data analysis, and I was using Java for developing custom algorithms. Why Java not C? Because still, you know, it was a bit easier to code things in Java. But as you can see, like over the years when Julia came, this Java gradually disappeared. It got replaced by Julia, but it not only got replaced, but as you can see, uh, I would say the productivity <laughs> increased a lot. Yes. And I think yeah. <laughs> this is kind of <laughs> a relevant thing. So what Julia allowed me, it's not that I stopped using other languages. As you can see, I sometimes use Python, sometimes use different languages. But in general, most of the time, uh, Julia allows me to do things, first of all, end to end. So both, uh, you know, high-level blue code for convenience, data analysis, and this kind of stuff. But also in the same language, I am able to develop complex custom algorithms that previously I was using either C or Java or, in general, this class of faster languages. Uh, and uh, now uh, what I was able uh, to is switch from using... Of course, still, as you can see, I use multiple languages, but like I do majority of my stuff in Julia. And this is, in short, the uh, <laughs> my story why I have started uh, Julia. Just, you know, uh, so there are two things to summary. First of all, to increase my productivity, period. The second is that I can use one language both for doing high-performance number crunching, multi-threading, distributed computing, and all those stuff. But at the same time, with the same language, I can write blue code that you know allows me to produce plots like this one. This plot was <laughs> created uh, with Julia. Yeah, and uh, there was a comment underneath that by uh, Thomas Polson that said, I'm curious what the other is in that chart. And I'm, I'm curious as well, he's kind of a gold brown brownish gold color in, in the chart there could you talk a little bit about what what falls into that other category uh, okay so actually i don't remember if i have answered this question but uh, ah so i will answer it right now because i have missed it so this other <laughs> is stata and actually stata okay. is it's it's relevant why because why i use stata because uh, stata has some features that are not available in any open source in any open source package. So for some very specific econometrics, for example, functionalities, one okay. needs to use Stata to get exact, or at least you know you could write it from scratch, but in Stata you have just it ready. So uh, so thank right, you yeah. for raising this. I will answer on Twitter now. I see that <laughs> I missed this. <laughs> yes. So this is mostly Stata, and as you can see, I just started. Uh, it's uh, most recently because, uh, in general, reviewers in journals get more and more demanding of how advanced <laughs> analysis you present to accept papers. <laughs> so I'm curious to know, kind of going back to, you know, reading this, uh, this famous C book, uh, how old were, were you when you found that in the library? Were you still like a young child as you were reading that or... or... Roughly what age were you? Do you remember? Yeah, I was around, you know, I was a teenager. I don't remember. It was like 12 or 15 
but a teenager in general. Oh, and actually there was uh, the second book, uh, uh, because there were two books now, when we, when you asked this question, I started thinking the second was on Algol. But I dropped Algol very fast okay. because <laughs> it was not not used anymore, <laughs> or almost yeah. not used anymore, even back then. But C is you know strong still even currently, which uh, kind of helps me because I also teach a lot. And student asks me, okay, why uh, why do I teach Julia? And there are two answers to this question. So first answer is and. My friend Przemysław Szufel, who is also quite active, especially on Stack Overflow, some of people might have seen him. He tells me that his answer to the to this question is that you know I apart he is apart from being a researcher, he does sometimes also like you know high level complex modeling for enterprise customers, and he says I use Julia because I make money with it. <laughs> and you know again so this is his answer that you know it is a productive language allowing me to do complex things fast and deliver good quality products so this is like one part of the answer but another part of the answer and i think many people from julia community would hope and think or hope would agree with this that when you learn julia you become a better program better programmer so when people come from r or python i tell my students Learn Julia not only because you can use it, but because you will learn things that will benefit you in many ways in the future because you will get a better understanding of how in general uh, you should do programming. Because in R or Python, I'm just referring to those two because those are probably most popular in data science ecosystem. Many things are hidden away from uh, someone who is learning the language, and you do not learn many concepts that are essential to general understanding of programming. And in you, Julia, because if you want, uh, you can go much deeper down, deeper down into, um, especially when you want to do high-performance computing, you will learn a lot of things that are really relevant. Uh, when you want to be uh, to have efficient code, so this is kind of other benefit of learning Julia that it gets you ready to learn uh, other things of, of whatever might come up in the future. It gives you a solid foundation and understanding of computer science in general. I believe. Yeah, yeah, I agree, and I think in general too, just learning multiple languages is beneficial because well, you expand your toolkit and your knowledge a little bit more. But you also kind of learn, um, you know, kind of it sets you up in the future for when you when you're presented with a problem, if a particular language you're using is not suitable to it. Well, if you've already learned multiple languages, it's not quite as scary than to maybe I need to go investigate some other language that would be better suited to this problem. And uh, so I think, you know, just in general, like you don't have to be an expert in every single language that you learn, but just knowing a little bit about other other languages, I think, is just a, a useful uh, thing to have done and uh, and and a skill to have. Yes, exactly. What I think is important, first of all, as you saw in this chart, I still use different languages, but it shows right. that when I so, so it's kind of I am I could say I hope pretty experienced, so I know quite a few languages, and this chart shows. That actually, what I choose when I know from <laughs> from the options that I choose. So sometimes I, of course, choose something else. But most of the time, currently, the maturity of Julia is enough that I choose it as a tool of the first choice. So I'm I'm curious to know about this kind of the story behind like DataFrames.jl and uh, how that came about. And uh, I don't really like per, you know i don't really know too much about your own involvement in that so uh, could you just kind of talk about you know how you got involved with all of that and the whole julia data organization around that probably especially in early days of julia most people came to julia because of this speed of pr uh, promise of speed so that you know i started right. with julia 0.3 so it was really then back then it was you know a promising languages but many things were missing I already yeah. could do this number crunching part of my job with Julia, 
But uh, then uh, uh, I would be still in this part where I was mixing, for example, Java and R. That, you know, I did something in Java, but then had to switch to R. And uh, it, it kind of was, the more I was doing this high-performance computing with Julia, seeing that it's an interactive language, so you had an excellent <laughs> podcast about using Julia Repl. Uh, recently, oh, yeah. Uh, it, yeah, it, it is like natural to say, okay, let's have, you know, this uh, data scientist facing part in Julia well developed. And uh, uh, because in every such ecosystem, a data frame is a pivotal uh, object and that uh, you want to use, uh, I thought that uh, you know, it's worth to start uh, investing time into making sure that uh, data frames are usable, fast, and uh, convenient, uh, convenient to use. So, uh, yeah. and actually, when I started using uh, data frames, my uh, my mindset was the following. So. Uh, I wanted to bring two things into data frames, and I hope users would agree that we at least partially succeeded with it. So first of all, to make it production ready, and the second, to make it consistent with Julia base. What I mean by this? And those, those things are related. So what we wanted to achieve, and I wanted to achieve, but I hope other maintainers agree, is that when you know when you first learn Julia, like, you know, you go through the Julia manual or other books, learn it, and then you start using DataFrames.jl, for example, package. So uh, the first important principle that I thought is really relevant, uh, and there were many changes, in, especially in early days I did in DataFrames to go this way, is to make sure DataFrames work the same way as base Julia. So for example, uh, if uh, something, for example, broadcasting, we have broadcasting in base Julia. Now, if you think of how should broadcasting work with a data frame object to make sure that once you get the principles of the base Julia, it should be natural follow up how data frames jail works. So there is no surprise. You do not have to learn additional things because things work the same way as you already would expect them. And the second part, uh, and the second part is this being production ready, which means that if we add any anything to DataFrames.jl, uh, we really put a lot of emphasis uh, to make sure that the design is consistent. So this is the first part and the second part that we really provide an adequate uh, test coverage and documentation coverage for any functionality we add. Which means that especially after we are past 1.0 release, that users can expect that if we expose some functionality, it is fully tested and it will be stable in long term. Uh, and uh, I think, you know, in the past, this was this, uh, sometimes people complained uh, that Julia packages change their APIs all the time. So with DataFrames.jl, we kind of decided, okay, let's freeze something. Maybe, you know, there are some edge cases are, that are not super nice, but I hope there are not many such cases, but at least if you develop something in data frames now, in five years it will work and will, it will work without errors. So in a sense, data frames JL, <laughs> to summarize, is not a super fancy package that shows full power of Julia, I would say, because there are many other packages that, you know, for example, with SciML, what Chris Rakowskas does, you know, you know, amazing things that you would say, okay, it's unimaginable, but then on the other hand, you need also packages that are boring. And I want DataFrames.jl to be a boring package. Nothing excited, but still <laughs> people use it because it's just, you know, convenient. 
I say that it should be a perfect sidekick to any data science project. So it's not, you know, the star players. Star players are those packages, you know, Jump. That there is also a podcast on Jump, or you have these differential yeah. equations, or Flux, or whatever. Those are star players. But those star players need a sidekick, you know, to read data in, and then to post-process it to produce some nice charts or aggregations or summaries. And this is where data frames JL place is, uh, and uh, still uh, mm, I think it's uh, so it's a boring package, but on the other hand, it's I think super important for the ecosystem as a whole to make sure that people can conveniently use Julia. Well, you say it's a boring package, and I, I understand why you say that. However, a, a while ago now, we on Twitter we asked people to tell us what, you know, what are their like favorite Julia packages. And I think dataframes.jl might have, it was probably the first or like in first or second place. It was one of the top two that everyone mentioned that I, I, you know, they use it all the time. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I wouldn't understate its importance. I think it, I think it is, you know, an important part of the ecosystem, even if it, like you say, it's not, representative of like the full capabilities of what julia can do uh but like you said it's 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 a useful part and uh and important in that aspect because you know especially if you're coming from you know if you if you're a data scientist or a data analyst and you've been working with r or python or these other tools and you want to get into julia then you're going to want a, a data frame pipe uh, to you because that's just yeah. you're used to thinking with those kinds of things so <laughs> <laughs> yeah so actually but then then there is a part of okay but what is the future of this and actually yeah. currently uh, we are working closely together with uh, MIT lab folks but also let me mention one person Christian Gulinski who is you know it's uh, Maybe uh, it's like a coincidence. Christian uh, is now um, part of Julia Computing, but he's from Poland and he's living in Warsaw. He's wor okay. working on D-Tables. This is currently a part of Dagger JL package, which is in general... Uh, um, uh, so D-Table uh, is a distributed table. There were some uh, benchmarks presented uh, in late December that it's also really fast. But uh, what is interesting that uh, it's like uh, one step forward uh, for data frames to make data frames uh, be able to process out-of-core data on, uh, cl on clusters. So this is kind of okay. thing that, okay, we started with data frames, with, which is an in-memory package, but then using almost the same concepts, and maybe uh, this is not available yet, that's why I'm saying it, it's a future, but we are in deep discussions with Christian that uh, he tells me, and you know we are designing it, that the same set of functions that data frames exposes for in-memory data sets to make sure that with the same syntax you can now go further and just uh, if your data does not fit into RAM of one computer you can use the same syntax and just distribute it and this is so for me this is super exciting because we had something yeah. and the power of Julia is that you can keep the same syntax and just change the object. It will not be a data frame, but it will be a D table, so distributed table. But the rest is just handled, I would uh, magically maybe, <laughs> it's overstatement, but like <laughs> handled by Julia. So multiple dis dispatch takes care of everything else. You say, okay, this is yeah. a distributed table, not in memory table, but all the rest is essentially or hopefully almost the same. And this is something yeah. that is super exciting and I think very powerful in Julia that you get a consistent ecosystem. That uh, when you learn something, this is that's why I started with this base Julia. So I say learn base Julia, then you should have an easy mm -hmm. time starting with data frames JL. After you learn data frames JL, hopefully in six months, 
you will be able to do the same out of core on many computers with data larger than RAM in the table because uh, Julia is capable of uh, doing this under the hood and you won't have to think about it, how it happens. Yeah, the multiple dispatch system, I, the deeper I get into Julia, you know, I, like, so my my background is primarily in Python. And when I started learning Julia, you hear about, oh, multiple dispatch. And you think, you know, you see some examples and think, I mean, that's cool. You're sort of like overloading these these functions and things like that. But the deeper I get into it, I think it, the the better my understanding gets, the more multiple dispatch feels like an entirely different paradigm than just, you know, what I'm used to with, with something like uh, like Python. And, you know, you've touched on that a little bit. What are your thoughts on, I mean, do you think that's something that is sort of like the key to um, to, to Julia, like this, this multiple dispatch system that they they have or and how important is that in something like dataframes.jl because this is probably you know a super long story but let me tell you how it <laughs> is relevant for dataframes.jl because i think it shows okay. best how far you can go so we implement dataframes.jl in a fully generic way so what it means mm. that users can supply columns of a data frame that can be of any type, uh, any type of vector, any type of uh, uh, data stored in this uh, in this in this object. Which means that uh, if you have some very specific requirements, uh, you can just fulfill it orthogonally to the data frames JL package uh, because we do not. Uh, so we can evaluate everything equally efficiently, no matter what type of data we store underneath. And this is significantly different from any other system, in, because in other systems, essentially, you have hard-coded, I don't know, strings, numbers, you know, several types, and then you have blob, like, you know, and everything else is like right. a... <laughs> like a you know binary object, but you don't you don't you 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 don't go into detail what exactly is inside. While, for example, I had a recent discussion with one of the readers uh, of the actually reviewers of my upcoming book, this Julia for Data Science, when he says, "I need to collect data that uh, is." additionally tagged by uh, unit. So, of course, uh, the user says, I mm, want to yeah. use unit for just to have units. But then, you know, with data frames, it's completely not a problem. If you want to have units, have units. Data frames does not know about units at all, but it doesn't matter because thanks to multiple dispatch, a user can store those units in whatever way they want. And we will, uh, and we guarantee that they will be processed exactly as the unit full package assumed uh, they should be, because uh, we do not interfere with uh, whatever what was defined in the uh, external packages or Julia base. And let me just restate it again. Maybe I'm repeating, but I think it's super important that. Yeah. Data frames JL design is about consistency with Julia base. So we do not interfere with anything that works there. So if you work with Unifootful and it worked, if you put such vectors uh, as columns in the data frame, it you can be sure that it will work because we do not make any assumptions. And this not making any assumptions, I think, is a huge differentiator uh, from other ecosystems. Uh, for example, let me just mention one. So uh, probably many users uh, of Python have heard that recently Polars is a super fast uh, implementation of data frame concept in, uh, in Python. It's implemented uh, at low level in Rust. But then it makes an assumption that the data is stored in some specific format. So it is fast, but yeah. it makes assumptions about how the data is stored. With data frames, we are also fast, but uh, we delegate making sure that code runs fast, not 
to the fact that we run fast, write fast code in data frames, but just we delegate it to Julia compiler. So, you know, we just take whatever is given and we know that Julia compiler is strong enough that it will, in the end, generate efficient code. And it does. And this is exactly yeah. this power of, uh, uh, of multiple dispatch. So first of all, you have composability on the features level, but uh, on the second level, you also get uh, high performance for free because Julia compiler uh, is able to resolve all those, uh, all those uh, dependencies and in the end generate fast uh, machine code. That actually kind of brings us to a, a point we can kind of tie into the, the book here and maybe move into talking a little bit about that. So you've got this chart in the introduction that sort of compares the uh, the speed, uh, exec execution speed, uh, or, or time really is a better way to say that, execution time of Julia, Java, Python, C, and where you, you've kind of got C as the baseline, right? So you've got this in terms of orders of magnitude, and at 10 to the zero, you've got a line for C, and you've got uh, different uh, points for, for different languages. Uh, and I thought this was a really powerful chart when I, when I first saw that, because you can see that for all the different uh, benchmarks that you've run here, Julia is all within an order of magnitude <laughs> of, of C yeah. <laughs> uh, for, for all the different benchmarks, which is extremely impressive. And and several of them, and probably half of them or so, are you know very, very close to that uh, execution time for, for C. In fact, there's one, what is that, the fan... Redux. Redux, right. <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's just sitting sitting on the line for C. It's like right there. Uh, but you've got that next to a plot that shows the code size relative to C. And uh, what's, I guess, what's so amazing about Julia, the first time you, you kind of see something, is it's like, so not only are you getting execution time that is comparable in some cases, equivalent or very close to C, but within an order of magnitude on many of these things. Uh, but the the code size, uh, which uh, are you measuring this in lines of code? Here is how you're you're measuring that, or yes. In, so, uh, like... so this is a standard measure compressed uh, compressed code size. So let me before okay. we d dig deeper into this chart, let me give one comment. For me, the most mm -hmm. important part of this chart, it was, it is that it was not created by Julia community. This is a fully objective oh, okay. chart <laughs> prepared based on, uh, as I'm referring it in the uh, here, it's this benchmarks game chart, which means that it was, uh, you know, those benchmarks were there, you know, on the in on, in the web even before Julia was invented. So the benchmarks are actually, in my opinion, fully objective. So it's not something that I have chosen. Ten examples where Julia works relatively right. well. <laughs> the key thing here is that those examples were were thought of over many years, but by people that they are somehow representative and objective for different kinds of tasks. So I think this is super relevant. That, and I was astonished, I maybe agree. not yeah, astonished I because I know Julia, but I thought, I hope that I would get this result. And when I got it, I included it in the book. <laughs> so yeah. the important thing that, as you say, Julia is almost as fast as C, and the code uh, is, in general, except one case, much smaller. And yeah. uh, here, uh, maybe let me add one comment, because this is something that data frames uh, JL users always ask. Because sometimes we could make some things in data frames JL a bit faster. But then... Uh, uh, I, at least this is my thinking. Maybe some of people would not agree with this, but this is my thinking, that if I am within order of magnitude of C, I am okay with it. So if I am like two times, yeah. slow, even two times smaller, slower than C, then I'm okay with it. What is important for me that I'm not orders of magnitude worse in any case. 
And this is right. kind also yeah. of what we strive for in DataFrames.jl because this is an interesting trade-off. Because if you want to get things faster and faster, at some point you reach a point where either you would have to have very complex API to allow users to specify what they want exactly to have things fast, or your code would be very complex to the point where there would be a risk that in five years' time it would be hard to maintain it. So as a side note, in DataFrames.jl, we are sometimes aware we could have done things a bit faster, but if we decide it would be much more complex, that then sometimes we say, okay, if it's already reasonably fast, we do not strive for the fastest thing ever, because again, data frames is a sidekick. So probably here yeah. is not the most <laughs> performance critical code one wants to write. So this is the first comment to this chart. The second comment to this chart is that uh, what is also relevant is that I could make this chart easily with Julia, <laughs> which means that it's not only you know that Julia writes runs fast, that Julia has small code, but actually if I share you uh, my uh, if I share you uh, my screen uh, with the uh, with the uh, with the source codes of the book, which are already currently fully available for everyone. So the book is now in production phase, but all codes, all source codes are already there. So, you know, this is the source code producing the plot, and most of it is source data. You know, I can prepare a pretty complex plot in like 20, page, 20 lines of Julia, but it is also yeah. important that mm, because Julia has this interactive capability, it was very easy for me to fine-tune this plot. And of course, Julia is not the only language that gives you this, because for example, you know, in Python or R you have the same, but with Python and R you have the cause that uh, in cases you want something to be fast, uh, you either have to switch to some other language or use some special packages. Uh, so this is not as easy as in Julia. So this is one part that I think is interesting. And let me also mention another part, actually wrapping up the whole book, which is uh, uh, chapter 14. This chapter is not yet available on Manning, but uh, it's again already written. And this chapter is related to a case study that I was presenting two or three years ago at JuliaCon. This is a case study of timeline, timeline app. So what uh, this uh, case study shows is uh, a company that is doing a complex, uh, complex financial analysis for their customers. They had the following challenge. They were using uh, one of other technologies for developing their code and they were then migrating them to uh, to the web because in the end this timeline is an interactive uh, application provided via web and and at some point they decided to migrate to Julia and uh, here are some of their uh, outcomes so the response time for the query went down from 40 seconds to less than one second which as wow. probably everyone can imagine that if you are waiting for 40 seconds in front of a web page, uh, <laughs> then <laughs> yeah, <laughs> this is mostly not acceptable. But uh, yeah. not only this, but I think this is uh, this is super important. That thanks to this, when moving from development to production, they didn't have to switch the language so that they could just reuse right. the same right. language in the in, in development as the language they use in production, which reduces costs, reduces time, and reduces number of errors. And what I have in this chapter 14 is I wanted to show my readers that, uh, of course, not a full timeline app uh, example, but something that is uh, a minimal 
example showing this. So this is a 50 lines of code. This 50 lines of code is doing what? Is it's a full simulator of doing Asian option valuation. So complex financial asset that requires pricing. So this this pay of Asian sample is a function that is doing Asian uh, options uh, pricing, uh, and okay. uh, it is efficient. But uh, within the same code, uh, with just a single line, this FredEx map, I'm running it on multiple threads. So something again that is quite a challenge usually in other high-level languages for data science. In Julia, I said, okay, I want to parallelize this, those things. Just use FredEx map, and I'm using all CPUs on my computer on server side. But this is not the end. I said, okay, but I want to make a web service out of it that uh, accepts yeah. uh, JSON payloads and produces JSON as an output. Add another 10 lines of code, and you have a web service. And I think this yeah, is, I, I like this example very much because it shows that Julia gives you everything. So you have this, you know, yeah. low level code uh, for fast computing. That's why, for example, if you here you have this hot for loop, which as we know in Julia is fast and it's not a problem in Julia. Then I can parallelize right. it super easily. And in the end, I can deploy it in 10 lines of code. And this is something yeah. <laughs> uh, that, um, you know, I see I'm super excited about this because it shows that you can do all the things end to end in Julia, which makes my life so much easier. <laughs> yes, that is a fantastic example. Um, and so that that's going to be that example will be in uh, chapter 14 of the, the book. Yes. Say? So this is, as you yeah, could see, great. already ready people who don't, you know, you can read the code, but then in chapter 14, there are all the explanations about the theory and sure. how all those things work. But this and this chapter 14 is actually the last chapter. So it's kind of summary okay. showing uh, in the book exactly what I believe is the strength of Julia. So that you do not have those compromises that what do you, of course, uh, uh, probably, maybe there are better things if you want to this or that, but uh, you know, like Julia is super powerful if you need to do a lot of computing, but at the same time, the ecosystem is already mature enough, like Genie, JL, there, what I used for creation right. of a web server, or, for example, data frames for data wrangling, or, for example, plots JL for plotting. But yeah. apart from your course stuff that you need to do, you have everything around it to uh, do build an end-to-end -end sol end -end solution. And this is kind of a message I want to send with this book. So, of course, you need to learn the basics of data, of different data analysis parts in Julia. But in the end, why you should use Julia? Because if you learn all of this, then using a single language, you can do projects end-to-end -end on development, and then migration to production is just copy of a file, not rewriting. I yeah, <laughs> yeah. And I think it's also important to point out, too, that so, so you could sort of make a similar argument for something like Python, uh, which has a very rich ecosystem, right? That, you know, you can kind of do everything. It's got everything. However, if you look at the packages you need to use in Python and you go, you know, look at them on GitHub, a significant portion of a lot of those packages is not written in Python. They're in some other low level language like C or C++. Whereas if you go to these packages and, uh, you know, on, on GitHub for Julia, then I, I think all of the ones that you have in that example, they're a hundred percent written in Julia which I think is another kind of important aspect of all of this, that if if there's something that, if there's something about a package that you're using, maybe it's just not quite fast enough for something. Well, you can go and look at the source code. And if you're already a Julia user, you, you can probably read and understand that source code. If you're a Python user and you don't know something like C, C++, or maybe Cython, which is used sometimes too to, uh, to speed things up, you go and look at it. Well, you're going to have a hard time understanding what what is slowing down your code and what options you have to 
to speed it up. So I think that's another important thing to, to note about Julia too, that I love about it, that I can just go to these packages that I like and I can see all the source code and read it and understand it without having to sort of switch into another, another language. Yes, exactly. And incidentally, this is something I always also discuss in more detail in chapter one. So this is a comparison of that selected packages from, you know, R and yeah. Python, which shows exactly this. And here you have, you know, the same equivalence in Julia written fully in Julia. Uh, so uh, what is also important in, in this part that you have mentioned, I think it's worth to highlight, as you have said, uh, every software is so, for example, we try to have data frames as complete as possible, as well documented as possible, as well tested as possible. But in the end, yeah. as we know, every software has some flaws. So uh, sure. if something <laughs> does not work as you expect, uh, exactly as you have said in Julia, it's one click away for understanding why it does not work by inspecting the source code. And you can immediately, of course, assuming you know Julia, you can immediately yeah. understand how uh, things were, were implemented. Uh, and then either you understand that you used the package in, in a wrong way, or you can find that uh, there is something to be fixed. But if you need to fix something, Again, this is super easy because you just edit source codes uh, and uh, Julia will recompile it on the fly and uh, you have something that was working. Of course, then I would, at least for data frames users, I would like to ask them to submit a, an issue or a PR if they find, find a bug. And this is very welcome, but uh, at least you are not stuck that there is an error and you cannot fix it. You can fix it in five minutes if you if you find a bug and you need to fix it. And, you know, in software, reality is that bugs, unfortunately, uh, sometimes happen. And with Julia, go, working around them is uh, very easy, thanks to the fact that most of the packages are written in Julia. So the book is called Julia for Data Analysis. And uh, you've been, uh, it sounds, I guess you've completed the book now at this, well, I mean, completed in terms of you've got the content, maybe you're still editing or something, but it, uh, but it sounds like you've gotten all the chapters written at this point. Yes, exactly. So all the chapters are written. And but I think it is a super nice process in mining. So I have written uh, like uh, over 10 books. Uh, over okay. the years and, you know, like over 100 papers. And with Manning, I have a super nice experience of how the book is developed because it's different from other publishers I worked with earlier. Because other publishers just took a book from me, maybe did some copy editing, sent it back for me to correction, so it was published. With Manning, you get the book gradually. So yeah. uh, the book is being released uh, uh, chapter by chapter. And uh, the process is something like uh, no more than one chapter per two weeks, even if the book okay. is already written. Why? So now we have uh, three chapters out after, out of 15. Uh, why, uh, why is this process designed in this way? Because uh, we want, of course, the book to be available as fast as possible. But now as readers are reading those chapters, I get a feedback and correct things that are unclear or possibly there are some errors so that when the yeah. book is finally published, it has a much better quality because I would say that, of course, I write the book, but this is a, like a community effort to make sure that the book has a good quality. Uh, and if someone yeah. wants the book faster, then you can go to MIP and get access to it right now. And later, uh, of course, you will get the full book once it's published, but you can like uh, get a preview uh, of, of, of this book uh, even before uh, it's out. So if uh, I would encourage everyone who is interested in the things we are talking that uh, uh, you can go now for preview and just you will have once in two weeks uh, the chapters that uh, that go in here. So maybe let me just 
um, uh, spend a few words on what is the structure of the book. So the book is uh, structured in two parts. First part is geared mostly towards people who want to learn Julia. Of course, this is all around data analysis, but I'm mostly focusing on teaching how to use Julia base correctly to, for data analysis, because you can get very far with basic functionalities that Julia already provides you almost up, out of the box. Uh, and, and of course, I hope that even people who know Julia will benefit uh, from this, from reading this part, but this is especially geared towards R or Python users that want to switch to Julia. And then in part two, uh, I'm focusing mostly on, you know, how to work with data frames, you know, aggregation, transformations and different things. Concluding with uh, this uh, web service example. And the other thing I uh, show, um, and I think it is also uh, interesting in terms uh, of uh, Julia in general, that, uh, and also this is one of the later chapters, is uh, in uh, chapter 13, I show uh, how uh, Julia can be integrated with uh, GraphsJL. So again, mm, sorry, data frames can be integrated. No, it's not chapter 14, sorry. So one of the chapter, I think one of the later chapters is, uh, um, I discussed there, uh, okay, you have a data, I, I analyze uh, GitHub developers graphs. So for, uh, we have GitHub developers and we check who, works with whom on the same repositories and you want to analyze such data, which is naturally represented as a graph with GraphsJL, also a very nice package. And mm -hmm. then I show how easily you can integrate those two packages. Again, those packages do oh, not cool. know about each other, <laughs> but then you can right. very easily, you know, read in the data to a data frame, then create a graph out of it, and then transfer back what you need from the graph analysis results into a data frame to do some machine learning, actually, uh, cool. not uh, analysis. Maybe one thing for potential readers of the book, I do not go too deeply into machine learning. So there are a lot yeah. of other excellent resources for this. I rather focus on more basic, I don't want to say boring, because I hope you will find the book interesting, but you know, those <laughs> more fundamental skills. <laughs> so like, yeah. rather than doing a deep learning neural network, I do a logistic regression to show you <laughs> how you can build model. Of course, it's simpler, but hopefully, uh, you know, in the end, it's just a different model, but the pipeline is uh, similar, and I more concentrate on building data processing pipelines. Yeah, so I have to thank Manning. They gave me access to the early the early access version of the book, so I've been able to kind of go through. And like I said, I, I come from a Python background, and granted, you know, now I've I've got some experience with Julia, so I wasn't new to Julia going into the the book, but I did think it was a very nice introduction to uh, Julia. That you know, starting off. If you're coming from that R or Python background, uh, you know, one of the things I just have to say, one of the things I love about Julia is, you know, the syntax is not, you know, there's not like a one-to-one, -one, you know, bijection between like the Julia syntax and the Python syntax. However, I, it was so easy within a, I don't know, I say a week, but really it was only a few hours over the course of a week, like maybe four or five hours. I was writing fairly complex uh julia uh programs uh you know having come from from python and so i i just felt like that was a, a really cool uh you know aspect of the language the things that you just kind of expect to work work <laughs> the way you expect them to so uh but uh but again i thought that that you know your your introduction that you have there to julia was uh it, it touched on all the the kind of questions that i had as as a python developer coming into the julia language. So I think you did a fantastic job with that. And I'm excited to see uh, more of the content as it as it comes out. Uh, Manning has graciously given uh, all of our listeners a permanent 35% discount on on their products. We've got a special code 
uh, it's Pod Talk Julia twenty two. We're gonna put that in you know the the description, the show notes, and and everything on uh, for the podcast and on YouTube. And there's a, a special link that you use to to get that. And then I also want to mention that um, so you know once this episode has gone live, we we were given one uh, code that's good for a free copy of your uh, Julia for data analysis. So um, when when the episode goes live. We're going to uh, do some kind of event on Twitter. I think we're going to have, you know, like a, you know, share this episode, you know, like and, and retweet. And then uh, over the course of maybe a week, as it's had time to, to build up and more people uh, know about it, then we'll pick someone at random to win that uh, that free code. So one one lucky listener out there will, will get a free <laughs> copy of, of your book and everyone else has a 35% discount code. And that's not just for your book. That is a permanent uh, discount, 35% discount, good for uh, everything on the uh, Manning website, uh, books, uh, their, their um, uh, courses, and everything that they have on there. So uh, thanks, Manning, for doing that. That's, that's a really uh, gracious offer that they, they gave us. Um, so... Uh, some of the final uh, questions here, uh, as we're uh, we're kind of approaching about about an hour now, so I think it's time to kind of wrap wrap it up. But there are a couple of questions that we ask all of our uh, all of our uh, listeners, or excuse me, all of our guests, and uh, <laughs> I'm going to ask you three actually because there will be uh, an, an additional uh, one specific to you. But uh, the first one is if you're going to write some Julia, which code editor do you use? And I think I already know the answer just from you sharing your screen, but uh, yes. About... So I will give you an answer and I will give you the reason that the reason is okay. important. So I use visual studio code and why you, do I use it? Because if I use it, then everyone who, all who, uh, who looks at what I'm doing also can easily follow what I do. And this is super important for me in teaching. So I tell my students, yeah. learn Visual Studio Code, and then you will know exactly what I'm doing because it's the same. And actually, Visual Studio Code is super, has a super nice Julia plugin. But the important yes. thing is, in the past, I was using Vim. And it was only me okay. who could follow what I was doing there. When, but <laughs> yeah. when I want, but when I want some other people to understand what I'm doing, I found that it's much better to use Visual Studio Code. And why I think it is important, because this is the philosophy we have in DataFrames.jl. So it's not that we are writing a package for ourselves. Of course, I also use it, but our intention is to have something that can be easily picked up by everyone and. I hope at least we try <laughs> to <laughs> to achieve this goal. Yeah. And this is kind of Visual Studio Code. Probably, you know, for a single developer, uh, there are some drawbacks of it. But from the perspective of uh, working in a collaborative environment, and especially as a teacher like me, Visual Studio Code is super nice. Yeah, I agree. I Well, I've been using Visual Studio Code as a Python developer for a long time. Uh, but uh, it's been a really nice experience with Julia too. You mentioned the uh, plugin that they have, the the Julia for VS Code extension. Yeah, it's a fantastic extension, and we actually have a podcast episode devoted to that. So we'll link to that uh, for <laughs> folks that are curious about uh, about that. But we went through kind of a whole tutorial on on using it and, and learning about that. But uh, yeah, the VS Code experience is is quite nice. The second question is, uh, what's your favorite Julia package? Yes, and I will screen share it to you. And again, okay, uh, it's there is a reason. So now, Taram, my favorite package is PKGAJL, and the reason okay. is that's a good choice. That <laughs> the reason is that it's a fundamental game changer to whatever you do. So it's another yeah. boring package. <laughs> <laughs> but it makes sure that right. when I, for example, develop my book, I am sure that I can share my project toml, manifest toml, and anyone, anywhere can reproduce 100% the same environment that I used to develop my book. And if you have hundreds of users, uh, this is super important because you do not want to hear from them that something is not working because of uh, environment configurations issues. So again, PKGJL, super boring package, 
but uh, so uh, so important uh, for reproducibility and productivity that I think you know if I had to pick one this is my favorite package <laughs> I am so happy that um I'm not sure who at you know the Julia project was involved with all that probably a, a several people but uh the the amount of thought that they put into you know pkg.jl is so impressive um they really i think they took a lot of, learned a lot from looking at you know the lessons from other languages and other package managers it is such a, a frictionless experience using pkg.jl compared to so many other <laughs> uh, languages out there that uh, it's really nice. And then having that just built into the the REPL, having that, you know, package mode. I mean, oh my gosh, it's such a productivity yeah. Uh, boost. Yeah, really fantastic. I think that's an excellent choice. Yeah. That's one of my favorite packages yeah. too. <laughs> yeah, so uh, I think you touched one important thing that I <clears throat> forgot to mention, but I think is so relevant that I will repeat it. It's a part of sure. the language, as opposed right. to how you have it in Python, <laughs> where you have, you know, right. Conda, Peep, of course they work, but the thing that it's part of the language makes a huge difference. All right, so the final final question just is really, you know, kind of a final call to action for our, our listeners. Where can they, uh, well, you've already mentioned, you know, uh, where the book is available. Um, do you have any information about when, the final book will will be available for purchase, and then also, you know, where can our listeners uh, get in touch with you or, or follow you on social media? As I have said, the book actually is already available, and yeah. uh, if you go to money, so the only thing is that it's uh, not uh, released yet. The, so you can buy it, you can read it chapter by chapter. The only limitation is that it will be final, finalized. And I hope something, some, some. So my personal objective is to have it by Julia Con. Probably it's oh, not okay. realistic. Good. A couple more months. But uh, for sure, I think for uh, uh, for autumn, so somewhere around August or September, it should be fully out. But even now, and I think it's also super nice. Because if you look at bestsellers uh, on the Manning website, My Julia for Data look Analysis, and it's astonishing. It's fourth, and it is here in top bestsellers. I think since it's you know since since it was released, first released like a month ago, it's constantly uh, in these top bestsellers. But it's what is also interesting and i think it's valuable that there is also a very nice book Julia, Julia. the second language it's also yeah. in MIP, so it's a preview but it's also mm -hmm. constantly in bestsellers which i think as a summary of our talk shows that uh, julia is really in rising demand because as we can see yeah. again it's like objective measure people are you know reading those books uh, and so they have choice of whatever language, programming language they would want to learn on Manning. But it seems that people really start learning Julia, which I am very happy because uh, it's always like a chicken and egg problem that you have a nice language, but you need users to have community. And writing those books is one of the ways I hope to help to build this community so that more people can learn about how nice Julia is. Yeah. And like we said, uh, you can get a 35% discount on the book now with uh, the, the code and the link that we'll share in the description of, of this, uh, this episode. Uh, so you can go ahead and, and purchase it with the discount and then you'll have the final version of it. You know, once it's uh, available, you'll just get the automatic updates and uh and yeah we've got the one person that uh will win a, a free copy of the book as well so if you're listening and are not following us on twitter uh please do so where it's at at talk julia pod on twitter and we'll we'll put that in the description as well so people can can see it uh so that you can see you know when we actually run that raffle and uh, and give away that that free book and uh and uh Bogomil, you're also on twitter correct do you have yeah, so people can contact me on Twitter. I'm, you know, I have Julia Slack, uh, which is, I think, the most popular, probably currently, method okay. of 
contacting with me. I write blog, which probably also some people have seen. So let me just again screen share. Uh, so the blog uh, is again. Uh, so let me stick to this boring style. So the blog is boring because <laughs> I just made the decision two week, two years ago. Write something about the ecosystem we are building once a week. So every Friday you can expect that I will write something uh, okay. about Julia, and uh, this is something I think, and I hope it's also a valuable uh, resource for learning, especially about data frames, JL, because naturally I write uh, a lot about it. And also if you have a question, uh, I'm quite often also answering questions on Stack Overflow. So you might also see me there. Well, Bogomil, thank you so much for, for joining us. It's been a lot of fun and a, a pleasure to meet you and and just hear about all your everything you're doing uh, with Julia and for the Julia community. So really appreciate you joining us today. Okay, thank you very much. And thank you for sticking with us. And I hope you enjoyed the talk. <laughs> Absolutely. Thanks.